You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. The Q1 numbers on the Canadian economy are in, and the hit we've taken has been massive. On April 15th, the Bank of Canada announced a new round of stimulus measures designed to minimize the damage caused by the COVID-19 crisis. By taking a page out of the Fed playbook, the Bank of Canada is reluctant to talk forecasting, citing uncertainty surrounding the situation we find ourselves in. But if we don't understand how deep the hole might be, is there a downside to these unprecedented fiscal and monetary measures? On this episode of Market Points, we'll hear from Derek Holt. Vice President and Head of Capital Markets Economics at Scotiabank, as he shares his thoughts on the rough economic road ahead. Hi, Derek. Thanks for being on the podcast today. It's a pleasure, Greg. Thank you. So let's start with April 15th's uh, Bank of Canada announcement. They kept the overnight rate at a quarter percent, but of course introduced some new stimulus measures. Uh, Why don't you walk us through some of those? They're really pulling out all the stops. I mean, we we are seeing monetary stimulus in Canada of a shape and variety and magnitude that we've never really seen before in Canada. It's it's occurred elsewhere in the world, but this is new to Canadians. And so what they've done is basically uh, increased the types of bonds that they are prepared to purchase with the aim being to lower the cost of financing for governments and for businesses. Uh, They have preserved their very, very low policy rates, and so that should benefit a lot of households and businesses in the the country. Uh, And they've also taken some steps to try to ensure that there is enough liquidity in the markets to absorb a mountain of debt that is going to be pushed through in the next few weeks, months, and, and quarters ahead. So uh, how do these programs all break down just in terms of uh, magnitude of these purchases and through the various types of bonds that uh, that the Bank of Canada is going to be buying? I, I estimate that they will be buying somewhere between 200 and $300 billion worth of Government of Canada bonds based upon their guidance that they will buy $5 billion each week until the recovery is well underway. And our best guess at that right now is toward the end of this year and on into the middle of next year. And on top of that, they have pledged to buy about $50 billion worth of provincial bonds, $10 billion worth of corporate bonds at the investment grade level, and a truckload of T-bills and other short-term paper, commercial paper, uh, issued by a a variety of of companies and and governments across the country. And so you're getting a sum total amount of stimulus from the Bank of Canada that is well into the hundreds of billions of dollars. They can afford this? Well, the the nice thing about the Bank of Canada is that they can afford what they are prepared to put into the markets because they they they're not like you and I. They don't have a budget to balance at the end of the day. They they there is a certain element of this that is uh, about expanding the amount of money supply in the economy. It's you know, conventionally called the printing of money, but it's it's been a bit cute in reality. It's it's a bit more sophisticated than that, but the the end goal is the same. They are providing more supply of money into the economy at the same time on the other side of their balance sheet that they are loading up and buying a lot of these bonds. Do you see inflationary issues with these actions coming coming to us in the future? I'm skeptical that inflation will be a problem uh, within our forecast horizon. We usually go out two years at a time, so 2020, 2021. Um, I think the driving factor behind that 
skepticism is the fact that we've created an awful lot of spare capacity in the economy because so many industries have shut down. And even as we get into the recovery phase of the world economy and the Canadian economy, it's going to take some time to soak up that excess capacity in a way that starts to credibly create inflation pressure. So for the next two to three years, I think we're dealing with something well below the Bank of Canada's 2% inflation target. And, and that's part of why we see such very, very low bond yields in the market right now. It's funny that you mentioned forecasting. The Bank of Canada seems to want to stay away from that. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on on that position? Well, my bosses aren't, aren't that forgiving. They, they still make us forecast. And, and so it's, it's a bit of a different game in the private sector. But I, at the same time, I have a, a, some sympathy for the fact that not only the Bank of Canada, but also the Federal Reserve have turned somewhat agnostic toward the outlook. And the Fed has even said that they won't attempt to forecast until June. And I think guiding that is the perception that there's so much uncertainty now that there would be a, a big element of, of uh, you know, making up the numbers almost in terms of the magnitude of the downturn and the precise timing of the upturn. But in our Scotiabank economics view, there is still value and in information to tr making an attempt at incorporating new information as it comes in and providing that guidance to clients. Anything the bank is doing that's making you uncomfortable or, or positions that you, you would take differently if you were you were in the governor's shoes. I think the people would, markets would like to hear a bit more guidance from the bank sooner rather than later on what their hundreds of economists expect in terms of the economic outlook going forward. I mean, there, there's a certain element of this that is, you know, guided by the, the exigencies of the crisis and the need to respond with stimulus measures and the focus of management time at the Bank of Canada upon that. But there's also another element of it that would be, helpful to hear the, the Bank of Canada provide guidance to market participants and everyday Canadians on when we may get to a recovery. And, and in our view, this is a relatively very deep, very large, but probably transitory shock that will eventually give way toward a better economy as the year unfolds and we get into 2021. So it would have been nice to hear a little bit of that more assuring message from the, the governor. Numbers have started to emerge with respect to uh, how deep this contraction has gone in Q1. Maybe get everyone up to speed on that and then talk a little bit about where we're going from here into Q2 and, and the rest of the year. Well, the, the numbers we have gotten from Statistics Canada so far indicate that the economy contracted by about a 10% annualized rate in the first quarter of 2020, which is eye-popping. I mean, we never had that in the depths of a global financial crisis in terms of the, the not only the Q1 contraction, but also the weakness into the second quarter. And that second quarter is probably going to be where the, the, the even more concentrated negative effects are will occur. And so I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a multiple of that rate of contraction at an annualized pace in the second quarter, which, which is important to point out, we're talking annualized growth contractions here. If if they occurred for an entire year, that's not our expectation. We think that instead the economy goes down hard in Q1, Q2. We stabilize into the third quarter, and we start to see uh, high single digit, perhaps perhaps even faster than that rate of recovery in the third and into the the uh, the fourth and subsequent quarters thereafter. It seemed like some of the language they were using during the announcement uh, seems to indicate that 
they expect this sort of bottom of the V already May, June-ish, almost like you're implying as well. As we get into the second half of the year, things are starting to look better. Um, how confident can we be in, in, um, in that estimate? Well, what an end of second quarter recovery is predicated upon is a successful experiment in Europe and uh, coming out of China with respect to flattening and reversing the COVID-19 curves. Uh, China was the first one, and if we can trust the data, then they seem to have flattened and they are in the recovery phase. Uh, Europe was the next economy to be shocked in terms of the, the worst effects upon Italy and Spain, and they may be on the cusp of seeing their curves flatten, which is why we hear Chancellor Merkel and some other Italian uh, European politicians speaking about how the COVID-19 curves are expected to flatten and the economy will gradually begin reopening in May. And then the third leg of that was when it hit North America. And so we, we got hit particularly abruptly in, in parts of the United States and, and in pockets of Canada uh, after the Europeans. And so it's by logical extension, we should be looking at flattening those curves and moving toward a recovery, gradual reopening phase toward the end of the second quarter, maybe a month behind the, the Europeans. And But that, that all depends very critically upon the success the Europeans have with respect to flattening, reversing, and staying down on the COVID-19 case counts. You have uh, a lot of commentary about this V-shaped recovery coming out of the Bank of Canada. Um, and yet at the same time, we're talking gradual recovery. So we stopped things quite quickly, but we're talking about a gradual recovery, and yet we're still mentioning this this V-shape. Do you really see it uh, like that, or are things going to be a little bit slower than than maybe um, the optimists are suggesting? My, my personal belief is that the early stage of the recovery will be a very shallow U as, because, as we gradually move away from some of the uh, social distancing and shut-in measures and we gradually start to re reopen uh, parts of the economy. But it, it's in some key parts of the economy, you can't just flick the switch on and go right back up to 100% or 80% or capacity utilization rates and business as normal. It takes time to turn these economy, these industries back on again, and that's going to take several months to several quarters in key industries like autos and energy and some other parts of, of the economy. And some of those key parts will lag behind the others. But what gives me some encouragement is that as we gradually ramp up capacity, We'll see everything, I think, pointing gradually in the same direction at the same time that it is combined with a massive amount of fiscal and monetary policy stimulus, not at, not just in Canada, but across the, the whole world. So if that's a transitory shock, we may well be overshooting in terms of the, the sum total of, of overall stimulus. What are the downsides of overshooting? It may be early to be speaking of this, but at the same time, it's important to be aware of the the problems that the markets and the economy may encounter when it comes to trying to extricate ourselves from this massive amount of stimulus in the recovery phase. Uh, for example, can we really just back away from wage subsidies and, and rent subsidies and all of these forms of stimulus two or three months from now and turn off the switch? I, I don't think so. I think it's going to be a, a, a tapered uh, exit from a lot of these forms of, of stimulus. Uh, we are, are likely to see markets exhibit a lot of volatility and uncertainty as 
these massive bond buying and stimulus programs and, and spending initiatives of, of governments are reversed. And there's a lot of uncertainty over the timing, the magnitude, how you reverse them, and how people in the economy and markets adapt. And so it kind of likens back to the taper tantrum that the Federal Reserve first encountered when it started to back away from its bond purchase programs. I think we'll, we'll experience something very similar to that you know, over the course of the next two, three, four years ahead. Uh, when people started trying to make comparisons about what we were going through, economically speaking, um, there was a lot of reference to this is going to be as bad as the Great Recession. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, the D word has started to uh, reemerge uh, and talking about how this is actually from a contraction standpoint going to be as bad as the Great Depression, maybe just not as as lengthy. What are the what does the comparison really, really look like um, from your view? I, I think there will be a, a significant rebound and then a a plateauing in terms of the growth rates back to something that we had become accustomed to in the last few years. And so it will be you know, a temporary spurt of, of economic activity as we recover the lost fortunes of the, the, of the COVID-19 and the OPEC plus shocks on the, the economy. And what I don't like about the depression story is, A, the Federal Reserve was arguably asleep at the switch throughout most of it. In fact, they tightened policy on the eve of the, the Great Depression, which if we recall Ben Bernanke's speech when he was chair of the Federal Reserve, he promised to never do that again. And, and this time around, the Federal Reserve has acted very, very quickly, along with other central banks like the Bank of Canada, to do everything possible to avoid that outcome and inject a massive amount of stimulus. And it's quite welcome, in fact, in the short term, that they are risking doing too much rather than too little, given the the, the uh, longer-term risks. I think it's also important to point out how different the economy is today than back then, the difference in the institutions, the greater dominance of, say, the service sector versus the uh, the, the agricultural and, and manufacturing sectors that, that really went down for a longer period of time uh, back then. A lot of uh, the sectors today, of course, are getting hit harder than others, uh, like um, travel and hospitality. Um, any particular sectors that are uh, performing during this during this crisis? Yeah, within this mixture, there's a almost a, a bifurcated set of outcomes in the equity markets. For example, that there we know the obvious candidates, the ones that are getting hit hard, like the airlines and the energy companies, travel and tourism. Uh, lost in that picture may be uh, what we will probably get a, a firmer signals about in the the weeks ahead when we get more companies issuing earnings results, and that will take a focus upon. Uh, probably a huge rise in online streaming revenues for companies that are you know, keeping all our, our kids and family members active at home instead of going to, to movie theaters, for example. Uh, in that context, there's also a, a large opportunity across North American and global food supply chains to make the necessary investments to meet the unusual demand surge that we are experiencing. Uh, there, there's, there's also a, a a heavy IT spending component here. And in, in fact, that's in the longer run, changing a lot of the, or expediting a lot of the changes that had already been occurring in the workforce and the economy before the shocks. And 
giving people much more um, flexibility and many more options with respect to how they they manage their workplaces. So the, within that picture, I think it makes for a very very um, different investing environment for people to take a more granular look at the markets rather than say buy the broad stock market index. And do you foresee anything happening because of all this uh, working from home? Does does the way certain industries operate fundamentally change forever after this? You're working from home right now. I'm working from home right now. The listeners are all working from home. Um, what happens when we can go back to work, but um, businesses realize, hey, we can do a lot of this without all this office space? Yes, longer term, it, this is part of how this sudden shock can create opportunity and risks that might not have otherwise occurred. And so one of them being that, well, we've even discovered that some types of workers on trading floors, for example, that couldn't previously work from home necessarily, well, suddenly maybe we can adapt with a a greater portion of the workforce, not necessarily all of them. Uh, And so in that context, maybe the commercial real estate picture is going to have to seek other growth opportunities outside of office space if if um, if people are more likely to use flex work from home arrangements and there was that was already going but with the massive IT spend and the necessity of it all expedites a lot of those changes in the economy that was Derek Holt vice president and head of capital markets economics at Scotiabank You can find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. Thanks for listening.